Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Dave, one of the ministers here, and hello to those people joining us on the live stream as well. Great to have you with us uh, as we begin week two uh, of our We Believe mini-series on God. And I want to start by uh, putting out some pictures and asking, what do these three pictures have in common? Does anyone know? Uh, the cricket stumps, the sun, and the ice water steam. Any guesses? Well, they are summary, yes, they're all very summary. Uh, but actually, they're all pictures that are trying to illustrate the Trinity, right? That, that, that truth uh, that God is both one and three, Father, Son, and Spirit, united, uh, but also distinct. Uh, they're pictures trying to do that. Uh, of course, three stumps, uh, the sun with light and heat, and ice, water, and steam. We're going to come back to those a little bit later and think about if they're good pictures or not. Uh, but for now, uh, we're talking about the Trinity in week two. Uh, the Trinity is unique to Christianity. Uh, no other religion has a God that is just so complex. Uh, you know why that is? Because the human mind cannot conceive of a Trinity. Uh, it doesn't make sense for us to think of something that is both one and three at the same time. Right, but we believe and we teach that God is Trinity because that is how God has revealed himself to us. Do you remember last week? Remember we were talking about revelation, how Christianity rests on revelation. The only reason God is knowable is because he's made himself known to us. And this is how he has made himself known, as Trinity. And so that's what we're looking at this week. Uh, last week was how God's revealed himself. This week is, is who he has revealed himself to be. And God is eternal Trinity. Now, as we think about that, I would, I would think most of us know something about the Trinity. You've been in church for a while. Uh, you could say something about it. But I also think we often avoid thinking about it because it can be difficult to wrap our heads around. Uh, and if that's you, uh, you are not alone. Just want to say that straight up. You're not alone. Uh, the theologian J.I. Packer, he was an incredible uh, theological mind. He said this about the Trinity. He said, the doctrine of the Trinity confronts us with perhaps the most difficult thought that the human mind has ever been asked to handle. So you're feeling a little bit overwhelmed by Trinity, that's okay. You're in good company. Um, and so I think what happens is when we come to think about it, where most of us are happy to you know, believe it, you know, tick it off on our beliefs, uh, but, but we don't want to think about it. Because it, it feels kind of like this problem that must be solved rather than the heartwarming and life-transforming truth that it truly is. And so if, if only one thing happens out of this sermon, it's that I want us to think differently about the Trinity. Right? Not just something to comprehend with our minds, uh, but something uh, to shape our hearts in praise and adoration of God. Right? And something to give shape to our discipleship as well, as we want to live uh, obedient lives uh, that love God and love others. Now, as we come to think about the Trinity, uh, you will not find the word Trinity in the Bible. Uh, it's just not in there, uh, but the truth is in the Bible. The truth is there. And so what we're going to look at is, is how is this truth revealed in the Scriptures? Uh, then we'll look at how should we think about it kind of as a whole? Uh, and then finally, how can we cultivate an awareness of the Trinity uh, that, it, that it has its impact upon us that it should, that it transforms our lives. So that's what we're doing today. And uh, the first thing we want to do is, is think about 
Uh, how is the Trinity revealed in Scripture? And, and these two terms uh, help us do that. Now, they're kind of, they're kind of theological terms, but I thought I'd, I'd give them to you uh, in case you come across them again. It's the economic Trinity and the essential Trinity. Now, those words are really simple in what they mean. Uh, the economic Trinity is, is how God has revealed himself uh, in history through his acting and speaking. So it's, it's about what God does to reveal himself as Trinity. That's the economic and then the essential is kind of putting what we see together to form, you know, an idea of who God is. What is his nature? What is his being in himself? And so those two things kind of work together. We go from the, the economic, what we see uh, in the scriptures, uh, to the essential, uh, to say things about God in kind of belief statements and things like that. Um, because, of course, if you read through the Bible, you'll see there's no one passage that lays out the trinity there's no like trinity passage uh, it was hard to pick a bible reading this morning i thought john 14 was maybe the best but maybe that just confused you a bit more as we read it um, but we're going to see that, that that's how god reveals himself um, it, it's progressively revealed throughout the scriptures in ways like that so we're going to start with the economic uh, which is how god has revealed himself as one god three persons father son and spirit through the scriptures and so if, you, if you're reading through the bible you'll see it's very clear god reveals himself as one god and only one god right the jews they were monotheists right they believed in the one true god creator of everything ruler over all and so deuteronomy 6 4 is maybe the classic statement this is the beginning of the shema which is the daily uh, prayer of the jews uh, and it's in Deuteronomy 6.4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. <clears throat> so they believe God is one, uh, not because they had sort of come to this understanding on their own, because God had revealed himself in this way as one. But then, of course, as, as we're reading through the scriptures and we see Jesus coming along, Jesus forced uh, the Jews to reconsider their understanding of God as the Trinity came into full view with his coming. It's just good to note, Jesus didn't start a new religion of, of three gods when there was just one. Uh, Jesus came to fulfill everything that was written in the Old Testament. And so he, he is continuing the, the one God religion, but giving us a better understanding of what that means. But for example, uh, do you remember the start of the gospel when Jesus is baptised? What do we see there? We see Jesus himself. Uh, we see the spirit descending like a dove. So the spirit is there as well. And we hear the voice of the father. This is my beloved son. And so there we have a, a picture of the Trinity being revealed to us in time. And of course, in Jesus' works, if you read through the gospels, what does Jesus do? Well, he does things only God can do. He forgives sin. Uh, he walks on water. He raises the dead. And so he's clearly saying, I am God myself. And then as Jesus speaks, uh, he's revealing the Trinity as well. Take John 14, for example, what we read this morning. Just some of the statements as we heard through there. Verse 1, Jesus says, you believe in God, believe also in me. You know, me and God are one. And he says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father in verse 9. And then verse 11, he says, I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. And so then we have, you know, Jesus' teaching showing us this Trinitarian understanding of God. 
And then the end of Matthew's gospel, we have, I guess, maybe one of the clearest statements of Father, Son and Spirit being equal. When Jesus commissions his disciples, he says this. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so we can see those two things happening there. Jesus agrees that, you know, God is one. Uh, he believed in the God of the Old Testament, but, but he knew himself also to be God, the, the Son of God, equal to the Father. And also the Spirit is equal with the Father and the Son. As you see there, he puts them all together. And so, so this, is, this is the economic trinity, right? This is the way God has revealed himself uh, through the scriptures, kind of forcing us to, to think about God as just, you know, a bit more complex than just the simple one that we see through the Old Testament. And so, you know, I wonder if you were to think of who is maybe the most unlikely Jew, the staunchest monotheist uh, to ever exist, probably the Apostle Paul, right? Or Saul, as he was known. Uh, Saul was someone who would pursue people who said Jesus was God. And he would put them in prison. But Paul came to be convinced that Jesus was, in fact, God. And he began teaching a Trinitarian understanding of God. So have a look at uh, 1 Corinthians 8, 5 to 6. So this is actually Paul riffing on the Shema from Deuteronomy, uh, where he says here, For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. And so he puts Jesus there on the same level as, as the one God. And this is not Paul changing his religion. This is Paul coming to a greater understanding of who God is through Jesus Christ. And so at the end of uh, 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul puts the three persons together on the same line, much like Jesus did in his commission, where he says this. He says, The grace of, our, of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Uh, so all three there on the same level according to Paul. So, so this is the, the economic trinity, how God has revealed himself in history. And those are kind of like the ingredients uh, that we gather together to form an idea of, of God as the essential trinity. So, so who is God in himself? What is his nature? What is his being? And this is where we kind of come to the things like belief statements uh, and doctrines and things like that. And there's four essential things we want to say about the trinity uh, that come out of what we read in the scripture. And they are all in our belief statement as a church. So we've got the booklet, uh, we've got the belief about God. Uh, here it is, we'll read it, and I'll point out those things. So this is what it says. Uh, there is one unique and eternal God who exists in an everlasting, loving relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God in three persons. Co-eternal in being, co-eternal in nature, co-equal in power and glory. So the four things uh, to, to know about the Trinity uh, are all there. Uh, one is there is one unique God. The second thing, uh, there are three persons in God, Father, Son, and Spirit. The third thing is that they are equal. They are each fully God. Right? Nature, power, being, glory, they are fully God. Uh, but each person is also distinct from the other. 
that they exist in that uh, perfect, loving relationship. Right? So one, three, united, distinct. A and yes, that is the simplest way to say it, by the way. <laughs> now, look, some people sort of think, oh, you know, the, the Trinity is just kind of an invention of the church, you know, uh, but, which is actually not true. Uh, the doctrine of the Trinity was, was always there from the beginning. Right? But the church actually grew in its ability to articulate uh, what it meant for God to be Trinity. And, and particularly in the face of heresies, people were saying, you know, Trinity means this, and they were saying, no, it, it doesn't mean that, it, it means this. And so actually those pictures of the Trinity we had at the start, they're not actually great pictures of the Trinity, they're great pictures of heresies of the Trinity, would you believe? They actually teach us kind of what the Trinity is not. Uh, and so there's kind of three main heresies that came up about the Trinity that these pictures kind of represent. Uh, so the stumps, that represents uh, an understanding of God as tritheist or tritheism or three gods, right? God in three parts, like one third of, of God kind of thing. So the Father's a third of God, the Son's a third of God, the Spirit's a third of God, like the three stumps. Uh, and the problem with that, that picture as well is that each stump is not the whole set of stumps, is it? Right? England might like it to be the whole set, just one stump there in the middle, you know, it might make them go a bit better. Right? But, but each stump is not the full set of stumps. You need all three to make a set. So it's a, it's a tritheist view. It's, it's got the three gods rather than the oneness of God. And, the, and then the sun, right? You've got the sun, you've got the light and the heat. That's taught, that sort of teaches a subordinationism in God. Big word. But what it means is that the Father is kind of greater than the Son and the Spirit. The Father's like the Son, the ball of gas, and he produces the, the Son and the Spirit as like his two hands working in the world. And so it, it really subordinates, you know, the Son and the Spirit to the Father. And so it's actually uh, another one of those, those heresies that we want to avoid because they are all equal in, in nature and being and glory and power. And then finally, the ice and the water and the steam... Uh, that is modalism, right? God appearing at different uh, modes in different ways at different times in history. So he, he begins as the Father, uh, and then he appears as the Son, and then he appears as the Spirit, uh, but never at the same time, just like water, ice, and steam. Although someone told me there's some kind of tri-point where they're all the same at the same time. Don't worry about that. Just forget about that. That's some scientific thing. Uh, it, you can't have water, ice, and steam at the same time. And so that is, that is modalism, because they, they all exist all at the same time. So the best picture that we have uh, to express the Trinity as we understand it is this one. It's called the Shield of the Trinity. So if you guys are drawing on your pads there, Jude, I know you're one of them, just have a draw of this picture quickly, because I'm going to get off it soon. Um, and so this is the best picture we have, because it expresses those four things, right? That God is one. Um, so we can see there, uh, there is one God in the middle there, united. Um, but there's the three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. They are distinct from one another. Uh, and each person is fully God, fully God. So the is line is saying the Son is God, the Father is God, the Spirit is God. Uh, but each is distinct from the other. So you can see the is not lines there. The Son is not the Father, the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, and so on. And so it's showing us those four things, the one, the three, the unity, but also the distinction uh, in the Godhead. And so that's like the best we can do in terms of a picture. 
Uh, there's a problem with this one too, isn't there? Can you see what might be, there's probably lots of problems with it, but can you see one, one big problem? Uh, it, it's kind of the problem that all these pictures have. And they fail to express the everlasting loving relationships within the Trinity, don't they? Right? Because the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father. And the Father and the Son love the Spirit and vice versa. The Spirit loves the Father and the Son. And God did not kind of grow this way or develop this way. God has always been this way. Right? The Trinity of these loving relationships is why John can say in his epistle that God is love. This is why. Not, not because he, he loves, but because he is love in himself as Father, Son and Spirit. And God has been this way eternally. Eternally. God is eternal trinity, which is the last kind of word I want to add to what we're, we're talking about today. Um, you know, you kind of think, you know, yeah, the trinity is kind of hard to understand in itself. Then you add the word eternal to it, just makes it that little bit harder, right? That, that God has always been this way. This is probably the hardest thing for my kids to understand. Have you ever had kids and tried to explain to them that God didn't have a beginning? Um, that just melts their little brains, doesn't it? It's very, it's almost cruel. They're like, my kids are like, there had to be a beginning. God had to have a start to himself. And the truth is he didn't. He has always been this way. You know, the Bible has a lot to tell us about God's pre-creation existence as Trinity. Just a couple of examples. Um, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens. And you know, he, he was there before he created. And, and he was there as Trinity, as uh, what Genesis one twenty six alludes to, where it says, uh, God said, let us make man in our image. And so there's a, there's a, there's a plurality in God right from the beginning. It wasn't clear then, it came, became clearer in the New Testament, uh, but it's there. And then of course, John chapter 1 verse 1, maybe the, the clearest and best statement of the eternal trinity. Just go back a slide, Barry. Thank you. John 1 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So the word being Jesus is both with God and was God. With and was, uh, before the beginning. Um, so God has always been this way. It's good news that God is eternal trinity. Uh, can we please believe that and get that? It is good news. Because when humans kind of create gods uh, themselves, uh, they're always these kind of lonely, solitary beings. Uh, and if they created, they created because they were lonely. They needed some company. They needed some people to, to sort of be with and, and know. But not with, not with our God. Uh, God has always been completely satisfied within himself, within these eternal loving relationships of Father, Son and Spirit. And so when God created it, it wasn't from some kind of lack or need. It was actually from his fullness as God overflowed in love to create uh, us and all things. Right, you see, you know, God didn't have to create us to, to fulfill some need in himself. Uh, he, he did it freely and graciously out of love. 
Because that is who our God is. We, have, we worship our God who is love. Uh, even more amazingly, God created us to bring us into that relationship with himself, didn't he? To bring us into the relationship of Father, Son and Spirit and the joy of that. Right, so when we talk about the Trinity, right, it's, it's easy to get lost in, in the pictures and the points and kind of the abstract thoughts uh, and very easy to forget that God is personal. We worship a personal God. Right? He himself is in relationship and we can know him personally and be in relationship with him. Right, so the Trinity is not just this kind of thing for our heads to try and grapple with. It's actually something to be responded to with the heart as well. Right? It's something to shape our hearts in praise and adoration of our great God. Which is kind of, you know, that's, that's hard to do in like, a, in like a shortish kind of sermon on a Sunday. Um, but if you give yourself time to be thinking about the Trinity and who God is, uh, it really leads you to worship him. And so someone who's done a lot of thinking about the Trinity is Michael Reeves. And he's written a great book called Delighting in the Trinity. It's in your uh, Beliefs and Values booklet. It's one of the recommended resources. But this is what he says. Uh, he says, it is only when you grasp what it means for God to be a trinity that you really sense the beauty, the overflowing kindness, the heart-grabbing loveliness of God. Now, we cannot fully grasp what it means for God to be trinity, uh, and Michael Reeves is not saying that we can, because he knows God is incomprehensible. But the point he's making is if, if we do meditate upon the truth that God is trinity, it will move our hearts to, the, to adore God and to praise God uh, the more that we see him. Because right? you can't look at this great God right, without being moved, without being, being moved to bow down and to worship uh, such a great God, uh, without being, being moved with kind of stunned amazement that he would bring us into this relationship with himself. Right, so we can know him as our father and call him father. Right, so we can know the son as our saviour and our lord and our brother. Right, so we can know the spirit. We can know God's love poured into our heart through the spirit and know the comfort and the fellowship with God through him. Right, and so we need, we need a great awareness of the Trinity uh, to grow in our knowledge and love of God. But how can we cultivate that awareness of the Trinity. What, what is a way to do that? Okay, so I just want to finish on that. What, what is a way for us to cultivate an awareness of the Trinity in our lives? Well, the best way and the way to, I'm going to suggest is through prayer. Through prayer. Uh, all, all relationships need communication and, and prayer is the way that we communicate with God. Uh, and this is how we do it. We communicate with God by the Spirit, through the Son, to the Father. Right? That's the way that the Scriptures... Uh, Tell us to pray by the Spirit, through the Son, to the Father, uh, our great God. And so we pray by the Spirit, don't we? Uh, because the Spirit empowers our prayers. It is by the Spirit that we cry, Abba, Father. Right? It is through the Spirit that we even know God. And, and we pray through the Son, don't we? Because the Son is the only reason that we can come to God uh, with any hope of being heard. Because the Son has died for our sins and has risen. Uh, and when the Father looks at us, he sees the Son because we are united with him. And, and that is why we pray 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we pray in the name of Jesus, because we pray to the Father through the Son by the Spirit. And, and, and of course, we pray to the Father. Jesus taught us to pray to our Father in heaven, uh, to know he is our Father, uh, to know he loves us, and gives us all that we need. And so it, it's, it's that kind of Trinitarian prayer that can grow your knowledge and love of God. Just to get it in your head, get it stuck in there. Uh, this is what the, the old Anglican collects, the prayers in the Anglican prayer book used to do. I can see Doug smiling. I know he's a fan. Um, the, the end of all the collects had pretty much the same ending to get the Trinity stuck in people's heads. And this is, how they, this is how it ended, a lot of these prayers. They would end, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you, the Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. You say that over and over again. It gets stuck in your head and you come to an awareness of the Trinity, a greater awareness. Right? And it's as we do that, it can really cultivate for us uh, a, a great awareness and a love for God. Now, it's, look, it's hard to do. I want to say, I want to acknowledge that. I know I've struggled with thinking about God this way. Uh, you might find the experience a bit like how Gregory of Nazianzus described it. Uh, he described thinking about the Trinity in this way. I think it's helpful, even though it can be a bit confusing as well. Uh, he said this. He said, no sooner do I conceive of the one, talking about the one God, than I am illuminated by the splendor of the three. And no sooner do I distinguish them that I am carried back to the one. Now, he was a, a, a theologian from the fourth century. And um, he's basically saying, you know, we, we cannot conceive as, of, of God as, as both one and three at the same time. We can only ever do one of those things. But he's kind of saying, as I think about the one, it, it takes me to the three. As I think about the three, it takes me to the one. And he kind of, he goes around like that. But I think that's kind of the best that we can do. Right? To reflect upon God as one in our prayers. Uh, to reflect upon God as, as Trinity in our prayers. Um, I think it's the best way that we can do it. And hopefully as you do that, by God's grace, it will transform your heart right, to worship and adore, adore him in joyful, loving praise. Right, because the Trinity, it, it is just foundational for our understanding of God. I don't want us to think about it as a problem to be solved, uh, but a truth that can transform our hearts as we meditate upon it. And so over the next few weeks, we're actually going to explore a bit more about what it means for God to be Trinity, or mainly how he relates to us as Trinity, as our creator uh, and as our redeemer. So coming up in the next few weeks will be those two great uh, topics as we continue to look at our great God. But right now, uh, let me lead us in prayer. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for revealing yourself to us uh, through your word and by your spirit and making yourself known to us in the gospel of your Son. Now we praise you as our one true God, Father, Son and Spirit, perfectly united in eternal loving relationship. And we thank you that we have come to share in your love through the gospel and pray that you would grow our understanding of you through your word and in our prayers, that we might love you more and delight ourselves in you. 
And we pray this through Jesus Christ our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.